reminder that the next edition of TV Confidential will premiere next week on this station at the usual time. Our guests will include David Van Dusen. David Van Dusen, longtime publisher of the Walnut Times, officially recognized newsletter of the Dick Van Dyke Show, and the producer of an excellent documentary that celebrates the 60-plus year history of the Dick Van Dyke Show on television. We hope you'll join us for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us as we round out this week's program with a special edition of This Week in TV History. Tony's segment, as always, brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble, storysalon.com. You can enjoy Tony's standalone podcast this week, in TV history, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find audio. This particular segment originally aired in October 2017, not too long after the passing of Academy Award-winning and Emmy Award-winning actor Martin Landau. I think the thing I am going to uh, miss this guy the most about was his performance in Ed Wood, Martin Landau. Oh, yeah. Uh, as Bela Lugosi. It, this was, I think, one of the... You know, when you're doing playing a real person mm-hmm. and a a real person at a stage of life that we don't always does not match the picture of your head. If you yeah. mentioned Bell Lugosi, you're picturing Dracula. Yeah. You're picturing nineteen twenty nine Universal picture Dracula. You're picturing that guy. Uh not you know, the end of life Bell Lugosi, not Plan Nine from Outer Space right. Bell Lugosi. And he's playing the Plan Nine from Outer Space Bell Lugosi. But there becomes a certain point in this movie where everyone I've talked to said, I stopped seeing Martin Landau. Oh, and yeah. I started oh, yeah. to see Bell Lugosi. And deservingly so. He got the Oscar for that. I mean, Bell Lugosi at that point, was, I mean, he was already a complex character, yeah. and especially at that time in his life. And he captured him. The performance was flawless. And just as time goes on, I, I think more people should see this movie. Not only is it, it's kind of like how I felt about my favorite year. This is about Hollywood of a certain era. Yeah. And it's the story of possibly the worst filmmaker yeah, in the they, history. They yeah. could have gone in another direction, but they actually, it was a very respectful film about a really bad filmmaker. Yeah. But it, it, but it kind of captures the, era and the whole phenomenon about why people are drawn to the movies and why so many people pursue a career in the movies even if they probably shouldn't you know the thing is he stood out because he was the best of the worst yes yes uh he was and sometimes you recognize the you know it's like that skier eddie eagle you know it's just like you you love the guy because he kept trying he kept going for it and ed wood with uh, his demons and uh, and other issues, also he was a war hero. You know, yeah, and uh, his uh, his uh, well his other issues. Yeah, his his, uh, his interest in women's clothing. He he was uh, he was a cross dresser. He was a cross dresser. He was, um, and he did a movie about it called Glenn or Glenda. Glenn or Glenda. Yes, trying to bring light on you know and basically saying yeah no I'm a, I'm all guy I just feel comfortable wearing women's clothing. Well, yeah. and and. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, you talked about how Martin Landau lost himself in his portrayal of of Bela Lugosi. I think you could say the same for Johnny Depp. And I've I've said this before. I like Johnny Depp because 
Once he made the leap to motion pictures, he could have easily gone the traditional movie star route. He didn't. He picked roles that he wanted to play, even if they were not necessarily for commercially successful films. True. Very true. Going back to voiceover, Maurice LaMarche as the voice of Orson Welles. Vincent D'Onofrio playing for Orson Welles <laughs> and Maurice LaMarche doing the voice of Orson Welles. Uh, that was one moment, I think, you know, where, like I said, you got lost mm-hmm. in, uh, in Bela Lugosi or, or Martin Lando as Bela Lugosi. And then there's that point where Ed Wood meets Orson Welles. And I could hear people in the theater going, that's the brain. <laughs> <laughs> because at the time, Maurice LaMarche was the brain in Pinky and the Brain, yeah. the cartoon series. And everyone's going, that's the brain. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was uh, it was kind of a, a, a cool moment also in the movie, but obviously Vincent D'Onofrio had the look and but didn't have the voice, so yes. they wanted to to cover both. But of course, uh, Martin Landau, his work on television, two series stand out. That makes him one of the well, he's also he's one of the few actors to win both an Oscar and an Emmy. Yes, he won the Emmy for Mission Impossible. Uh, he played Rollingham the first three years of the show, the, the the original resident master of the skies. And then in the 70s, his other famous television, well, it's, it's not quite the same plane as Mission Impossible, but it does have a very cult following to this day. That would be Space 1999. Space 1999. Oh, which forgot about that. There's been talk about trying to do a reboot of that. I'm sure it would be 2099, but to kind of get the same basic premise for the show. I know. I, I, I see this. Uh, yeah. Well, my, this my, my initial reaction is I'm not sure why, but, you know, but, the, but look, look, anything is ripe for a reimagining depending on how it's done. And again, you would not necessarily be targeting the original audience. You would try to you would do it today. And look, obviously, with the success of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, and it is plausible. It, it is yeah. yeah, I mean, in uh, 1975 to 1977, the the idea of having this type of facility on the moon was, you know, people could dream that. Yeah. That was, it almost oh. seemed like that was in the plans. Yeah. Would it be Mars 2099? Well, we haven't really done much on the moon yet. It could still be. It could, it could yeah. still. It could be. Um, and considering what this season we have... Uh, New Star Trek TV show, yeah. Seth MacFarlane show, which spoofs Star Trek, Orville. Yeah, Orville. Uh, so yeah, kind of uh, a spoof of Star Trek, which looks very, very funny. And I think so. Part, yeah. So is the door to space opening again? Will we oh, see more? I wouldn't be surprised. But it was set in the year 1999. It was uh, it was a British science fiction television series. It ran for two seasons. So there was Space 1999, and then the second season was Space 1999 Year 2, as opposed to Space 2000. Uh, but in the opening episode set in the year 1999, nuclear waste stored on the moon's far side explodes, knocking the moon out of its orbit and sending it... Uh, and it's... 311 inhabitants of moon base Alpha hurling con- uncontrollably into space. So the moon was actually... The, uh, the vehicle. The vehicle. Uh, the series was uh, last produced in partnership with Jerry uh, and uh, Sylvia Jerry and Anderson, Anderson and was the most expensive series produced for British television up to the time. Yeah, I believe it, it was the first live action and maybe the only live action show done by Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, because they were best known for the stop motion animation shows such as Fireball XL5 and Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds, yes. yes. Thunderbirds are go. 
But, uh, man, this is 1975 to 1977. Star Wars was 1977. Yes. So this predates Star Wars by a couple of years. The whole overall science fiction look um, and kind of almost this, there we call it a utopian society, you know, living on the moon. Of course, they're storing nuclear waste on the dark side. Uh, but uh, the spacecraft flying, uh, the Eagle One, which was the, the spacecraft uh, that... I think rivaled the Battlestar Galactica in many ways as far as look, and it, I mean, it looked really, it did not look cheesy uh, for the time period, and I think uh, if we still looked at it today, it looked really, really sharp. Uh, but coming in, you know, again, ex, you know, winding up uh, visiting alien worlds and having different encounters and having uh, multi-ethnic uh, people also recognizing, yeah, the, that uh, humanity still has its conflicts but having to learn to live together. So definitely uh, not as... Uh, they didn't all get along the same way that, that, that they did uh, later on in Star Trek, but you still had a couple centuries to go. Our friend Mark Dewidziak, a television critic for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, he recently wrote a piece, 10 Essential Martin Landau Rolls, two of which uh, we've already touched on, uh, actually three of which we've already touched on, Bela Lugosi in Ed Wood, uh, Space 1999, and uh, Mission Impossible. He also played one of the best villains in the original Columbo, and it's also one of the most unusual because he played a dual role. It's always fun for an actor to play a dual role because uh, even even if it's a... In, in his case, it was it was a guest star role, but he got to play basically, I think there were brothers, and they were each distinctively different, which, which gave him a lot of opportunity. Um, and because the, 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 guests, the villains on, the murderers on Columbo were always the best parts anyway, because you get yeah. the most screen time. But so he, he even had even more screen time, if that's possible, because he, he played two suspects in the same show. So, <laughs> but there, Tucker, The Man in His Dream, which is, his, which is the mo- movie he did with Jeff Bridges, where he received his first Oscar nomination. Crimes and Misdemeanors, which I believe was his introduction to the Woody. For a while, he was a member of the Woody Allen uh, repertory. Company, yeah. yeah. Uh, Max and Allen from 1990. Ed Wood, we covered. Uh, oh, lest we forget. He was in North by Northwest. Yes. Played uh, the ruthless henchman to the enemy spy played by James Mason. He did an episode of The Twilight Zone called Jeopardy Room, which was directed by Richard Donner. And he played a mutated human dying of a disfiguring disease in an episode of The Outer Limits called The Man Who Was Never Born. Ooh. And he also, uh, and I I find this kind of uh, ironic as it was coincidental, we spoke to Don Wells a while back. Yes, we did. And I believe Martin Lando died a couple of days after we spoke to Don Wells. And one thing that did not come up was uh, the last Gilligan's Island movie, Harlem Globetrotters yes. on Gilligan's Island. Uh, that was the last time he appeared on camera with his wife, Barbara right. Bain, who was in Mission Impossible and Space, Space 1999. Uh, they were the rivals of the Howls in this uh, TV movie. And... Uh, yeah, so they were they were the bad guys uh, for all practical purposes. Uh, they had the robots called the New Incredibles that <laughs> faced off against the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, but it was the last time the two of them worked together because they were divorced shortly thereafter. Uh, so it didn't, you know, at the time uh, that that TV movie and what we were focused on was the last appearance of Jim Backus. 
Uh, and he basically has it was reduced to a, a cameo in that. And uh, so we were focused on that. Didn't even think to ask about what was it like working with Martin Landau and Barbara Bain with that. Because I think, you know, for, for the, the, the project that it was, those were heavy hitters. Yes. Uh, to have uh, appearing, not just to mention, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, but and you look, you know, you you, you if. One one could say I don't want to you know I'm, I'm I'm Martin Landau I've won three Emmys I don't want to do Gilligan's Island but uh, he was an actor first and foremost and you know it's uh, he went where the opportunity took him and uh, he made the most of it and they looked like they were having a great time yeah yeah I think they were treating it you know with the seriousness that it deserved yeah. which they uh, it, we're not used to seeing the two of them doing that comedic type you know. The, even though they might do something that's a little bit more humorous, mm-hmm. they were being funny, yes. you know, and um, and it looked like they were enjoying what they were doing at at the same time. Uh, MeTV also had done some of the promos with him, which they kept airing mm-hmm. even after his passing. They did a nice seven or eight hour tribute to him, I think, within a week of his passing, which, yeah. uh, along the lines of what they did with uh, Adam West uh, in yeah. June. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, hats off to MeTV for putting the time together and and. Uh, they they really do uh, a wonderful job. I think for everything from showing the closing credits of the show, which I think is a a great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other ones, not everyone's doing that. At least they run you know the credits. They might have them abbreviated, yeah. but or uh, or reduced or, or reduced down to the you know far left corner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so they're to, they're they're legible and blow it up. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but yeah, uh, I think the closing credits are a well. It helps complete the experience of watching. Yeah. I mean, just, just as the opening credits would get you, I mean, the opening theme gets you into the mood to watch that show. The closing credits kind of like help you close the experience of watching that show. And some people like the closing credits yeah. or the closing theme yeah. song or just. You know, just that have that moment, not have it overlap into the opening mm-hmm. of of the other show, or you know, whether it's or it's a marathon or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's much nicer to have 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 that. It's nice and clean, yes. especially if you're going to DVR the show. Yes. <laughs> it, it it does, which a lot of us do. Decades, I think, ran all three seasons of the Martin Landau episodes. Of, of Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible as part of their weekend binge the weekend after he died, I believe. And uh, and it's funny because you look at some of these old shows, and I would say especially some of the people that we've lost this year and especially last year, you know, when uh, people talk about it. Since people know that I, I am a, a huge fan of classic TV, they will come up to me. Did you see that MT, you know, MeTV or Antenna TV or Coast, they're doing this marathon. Did you watch it? I, yeah, I watched it. So, you know, I expected to watch one episode and then I was glued to yeah. the TV for the next six hours. Or I didn't know that he did this show back in the day. You know, and, and it's like he was really good when he was young or, you know, whatever the, the, the situation is. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. You can enjoy Tony Figueroa's standalone podcast this week in TV history, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. A reminder that Amsterdam is available now in theaters everywhere as this program airs, while Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, is available for streaming on demand on Netflix. The Waltons are available for viewing on demand on many different platforms. Ed Robertson, Beth Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, Phil Grice, and Greg Arabar. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy, stay safe. We'll talk to you next time on TV Confidential.
part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.